Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the after party where we have as many questions about ice cream trucks as I think we did about tuna last episode. So I'm very excited. It's a lot of ice cream trucks. They're very important in these episodes. Ice cream trucks, the new fan favorite. <laughs> we also started a very important discourse about soft serve ice cream trucks and mm. the fact that those are very localized, regionalized. There's just lots of ice cream discussion happening here. Brandon learned what a boathouse was. We all grew. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Many architectural reference images. It was very fun for me. That's true. It was nice to know that, as we learned, that it was not some Kennedy bullshit, as Brandon described it. Okay. <laughs> did I? Yes, you did. That's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start out with the fight that took up most of episode six. I know, Julia, you had some questions about the mechanics of the fight. Hey, Eric, why, why was he able to keep putting guys in front of him and I couldn't hit him? Well, Julie, it's because you're bad at Dungeons hey, and Dragons. Hey, no. <laughs> no. I've, I looked at the DM's guide, and that's what it said. Uh, no, the reason why is I went into my bag of tricks and went into the Monster a Day wonderful compendium, and I found this little guy called the Goblin Boss. It's usually a goblin person, but this was just a regular person now. It was just a uh, challenge one, and they have this wonderful ability called redirect attack. When a creature the goblin can see targets it with attack, the goblin chooses another goblin within five feet of it. The two goblins swap places, and the chosen goblin becomes the target instead. Now, what I did for this was uh, ruffian boys replace the word goblin. (laughs) So in this fight, I had Goblin Boss as Mantis. They were the rat-faced one who talked like this. Yeah, I'm gonna get you. And the very large high schoolers, as I described them, were boars. Okay. So I did three boars and then a Goblin Boss. Is there a men or pigs joke to be made here? Probably. (laughs) It can be. Yeah, definitely. You Insert your own. (laughs) Fighting boars is much better than fighting underage teenagers, so yeah, I'm gonna go with boars. Okay, cool, cool, cool. We did punch Listen, a lot of so teams. Just because you're 15 doesn't mean you can't get beat up by <laughs> the heroes coming in. I'm sorry. That's true. That's true. That's I, That was my favorite Superman comic growing up. Yeah, when he beats up a bunch of teens. <laughs> and were there any kind of pack dynamics at play among them? Or was that swapping ability the sort of main mechanic? Because that's what you used in the bank scene, right? Was or was it bank scene? Yes. When you used pack dynamics? Yeah, that was when I made the the guys in the bank as kobolds, but I didn't have a pack dynamic thing here. That's really it was more, um, the boars had a charge move, much like Val does, which we I was not able to deal with there because you just kept pushing them over. Uh-huh. And it's like, ah, they're not able to run. But Aggie like you is using her way of movement to use everyone's energy against them. And you just did a lot of pushing people over so they couldn't run at you <laughs> and charge at you and tackle you. Which is what no. I really wanted to do. Not violence is the answer. Oh no, it was still violence <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was definitely still violence. That's true. Yeah, that was all that was happening with that fight. Honestly, I thought that it was going to be like Aggie getting beaten down while Val and Milo figured it out outside. But you were just able to take care of business, and you kind of progressed it from the inside. I I tried, I tried. But speaking of Val and Milo, how did that noticing of River? play out yeah let's talk about that perception role <laughs> <laughs> again bad at dungeons and dragons i don't know what to yeah, tell you yeah i know i know 
So I kind of just made it a reverse perception roll, like it was a trap. So obviously it was being distracted by somebody else. Your perception is kind of when you look at things, but I think that there is a way to be distracted by important things. So I kind of turned oh, that on its head. I love that. Ooh. That's awesome. The wonderful thing about this, and again, Julia, you're just wrapping up your own demise here. You were the one who described college students going to Lake Town and looking for Monty in the world building mm. episodes. And this was when the world building episodes came out. So I was listening to it. I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> and I put that in. So they were wearing lanyards. And, you know, the only people who wear lanyards are the beginning of school year freshmen because it's fall. Mm -hmm. So they were doing the traditional rite of passage, which is try to find Monty in the woods, which is why what they were doing uh, in the forest. I am sensing a crossover opportunity here with someone writing in uh, to spirits about the lore of Lake Town City. Mm. Well, I, I would, that. I have that. I can definitely go into that. That's for sure. I have major concerns about these college students searching for an aquatic creature in the forest. Wow, well, Brandon doesn't want children being beat up. He doesn't want eighteen-year-olds looking for <laughs> monsters. Uh, such safetyism. Oh, it's such a snowflake. Oh God, not allowed. <laughs> on our Social Justice Warrior podcast. <laughs> no, we don't have that class, I'm sorry. No, oh, damn. Val is a social justice barbarian. That's true. <laughs> uh, the other thing that we didn't talk about was how you were gonna get into the garage. So there was a padlock. Mm -hmm. um, I had found a PDF that I really liked about locks and keys hmm. that just like, Every lock needs a key. You can't just have a locked door. So I'm like, okay, if they're going to lock this garage, which has uh, a giant mountain luster in it, sure. there has to be a key somewhere. It might be on a person or they might have hidden it. So I was thinking about how smart these guys are. So they're not. So they probably would have just hidden it around. And I, I thought about this for a little while. So it was under, there was like a... <laughs> Julia, we have I, I to get under a rock or something. It was under a oh, rock. Yeah, I think it was like it. either under a rock and it was on the beach. So if there was one, it was under like a chair. There might have been a beach chair nearby. Okay. I can't remember exactly what it was because you guys didn't do it. So I just kind of forgot about it. But there was the key nearby. Okay. You know, when you overthink things and then you realize that you overthink them and then it's the worst feeling. <laughs> The thing is, you could have broken it. That's what Val tried to do in episode five. You tried to break it, but you missed. You just whiffed it, and you weren't able to break the lock. I was waiting for you to pick it back up and try to kind of destroy it. I was like, well, this isn't going to work, and moved on. I feel like that's the first lesson I learned in D&D. I think like episode one of uh, campaign one, I tried lock picking, completely biffed it, and then didn't try it again. Mm -hmm. And then in the after party, I think someone said like, well, you could have done it again. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. So I always, I always try it twice now. Smart. Uh, Eric, what would have happened if we had made the other decision? So we had the choice between uh, scouting the clubhouse and the jailbreak. What would have happened if we had chosen the jailbreak? You know, that's a good question because I was going to plan that when I got ready for episode six. <laughs> so I laid it out for you and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to do some introductory stuff and just lead them to whatever the thing they had to do. So I kind of just made all that stuff up when you went to Aggie's house for tacos. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you approach the boathouse and then some stuff happens. And I kind of just made that up on the fly and then backfilled that for episode six. So it would have been some sort of jailbreak now that you have foiled it. The plan was that there was going to be two ice cream trucks coming from Laketon and then there was another ice cream truck that was coming from a different place, which was the one that ran over Val a few episodes ago. 
that was going to try to do the jailbreak, and they were all going to converge and use their tech to just try to blow a hole in the side. But the problem was, in all of these places, there wasn't enough people to help the jailbreak to happen. So there was supposed to be like six people on the job to spring four, but of course it didn't happen because you guys defeated all these people. The other thing that didn't happen was that Val was able to corral the ice cream truck before anything bad happened. So like I had a whole chase scene set up for eventually when they got in the open road, that night of mirrors was supposed to grab one of you and you were going to have like a, a, a vehicle battle. I had chase yeah. mechanics lined up. Sounds good. So you all take care of it before all this happened. So that's why the night of mirrors picked up river greens and was able to prove that you knew what you were doing and that this was a criminal enterprise. No chase scene for you. No chase scene. <laughs> Now, when you say Night of Mirrors, pick one of us up, is that like a evil thing or a Sexually. nice thing? Sexually. <laughs> <laughs> or ally in battle. Listen, the Night of Mirrors is a mysterious person. It could have been any of them. Guys, we can't cut to spoily corner yet. That's at the end of the episode. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, I also, um, I did have stats for the very large mountain lobster, just in case. <gasps> just in case we had to fight. Tell us about them. Yeah. What did Tuna say? What happened? Yeah, what happened? Oh, Brandon, I should ask you. I mean, I rolled poorly. So what was, what was like... going through your head when when you were like, I know, I'll send my cat who doesn't like people to go deal with this interesting creature? Well, my thought process was, one, they, Tuna doesn't like people, but Tuna may like other animals. I don't know. I don't know Tuna that well. <laughs> and two, I figure that Tuna would, might have a better chance speaking to another animal than I would, but... Now that I'm thinking of the fact that humans are also animals, I think that that logic was kind of flawed. <laughs> hey, remember how Brandon's our druid? <laughs> <laughs> he can talk to ghosts. He can't talk to living things. Okay. I imagine Tuna was like, I don't know, what would they, something about their favorite pastime is picking cold fish out of a fishbowl or something. That's very you know? funny. Very threatening. Eric's just looking at me. <laughs> Listen, the dice also had some questions about that. And gave you the and gave you the net one. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I there was a question that was like, what would happen if Tuna didn't have a nat one? I'm like, I wish you could. I wish I could have told you what, what Tuna was doing, communicating, and then Tuna swiped at it, and then it responded in kind and broke its above ground pool. Like, I don't know. So, anyone who's a Tuna fan out there. I just want you guys to take this moment to realize that you're wrong <laughs> and Tuna's bad. Jeez. Don't tell the audience that they're wrong to love Tuna. <laughs> I'm kidding. Tuna is fine. What? <laughs> not good. Fine. <laughs> Man, if only the person who had created Tuna had not created Tuna to make Brandon's life so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> we should let's go beat up that guy. <laughs> only if he's um, under 18. <laughs> <laughs> only under, we only beat up miners here. Um, I did look up. People were making fun of me for how the mountain lobster communicated. And I looked it up and shrimp, all shrimp in that area, that phylum, communicate by blowing really powerful and, you know, relatively powerful air into the water that creates bubbles. So, like, if a mountain lobster was going to talk, it was going to just be... I didn't second-guess that for a second. That made total no, sense. No, it's very right. charming and real. I did. I did research. There's a lot of animal research that goes into <laughs> flighting this. I also found this video that is a crawfish place 
asking what crawfish calls are, and it is the most lo-fi, ridiculous video I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god! Oh my god! Here's just, just a, here's just a little clip of it. Thank you. <gasps> Incredible. How how often does that work? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm really not sure. That, uh, that was just a just a your first hand look at it, so we'll find out later if that's really <laughs> <laughs> It goes on for a minute and 12 seconds. I think it was a radio station that was hosting a crawfish boil, and they were doing this to promote it. And, like, this is from, like, 2006, and they put it on YouTube. That person looks exactly like Angela Merkel. (laughs) (laughs) This is what she was doing before she was prime prime minister. I looked over, and I was like, why do you have a video of Angela Merkel? Does she have a lot of opinions about about Lake Town City or crawfish? She does. She's the crawfish queen. She's Chancellor the Crawfish Chancellor. Chancellor Crawfish. <laughs> well, let us now get into episode-specific questions from everyone. Um, I actually have one for episode five. Uh, can we hear more about Milo and Lucas's friendship, please? It's very pure. Yes, please. They're so <laughs> cute. Yeah, I mean, Eric, I think you gotta get, you gotta wait into this one too. I think uh, when we were prepping it, Milo uh, had like a cadre of um, like four or five friends at the museum. Um, but I think all I gave to Eric was like that and like they're probably like a researcher and like an archivist and like people behind the scenes because I think Milo is the only real like edu- edutainmenter. <laughs> Edutainer. Yeah. Thank you. At the museum. So I don't know. Yeah. What was going through your head, Eric? Well, I have these things written down that happen from conversations that I have with Brandon. So Lucas is one of uh, three or four people that are part of the museum, and they're all friends. They're all in a bowling league. Uh, Milo and Lucas do amateur rocketry together. Oh, my God. Uh, adorable. They have, t- they have TV show watch parties, and they're out- everyone is into Douglas Adams. Uh, and then I have, like, four – if there are four friends here, I have the archetypes. that There is a mom, uh, a really smart guy – uh, the newbie and uh, the steady friend. So what I had for Milo was he was the newbie because he, what we talked about, was the most recent uh, recent addition to the museum team. And Lucas is just like a steady guy. He's very chill. He just kind of deals with what happens in front of him. Uh, and Milo, as we've established, has run into work very late every single time <laughs> that we've had him go to work. So we haven't been able to see other people. So I really want to flesh out this this friend group. I kind of have a very strong idea of who they are, but we haven't had a chance <laughs> to like build them out. So uh, hopefully we'll get there. So we have two out of these four friends. I'm excited. I forgot that we had a bully leak. <laughs> We should practice, probably. <laughs> probably. There's probably a tournament coming up. Didn't you say that you had you had your own bowling ball in episode one? Yeah. 100%, yeah. You just forgot you had friends as part of your bowling league? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you, you built yourself a friend group. That's that's really important, Brandon. Well, you know, there's a lesson there, Julia. <laughs> you can't make friends in real life. You can build your own friend group in D&D. <laughs> and when your parents are not mob bosses in real life, D&D is an option for you. Julia, tell us, please, about Val's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get too too spoily, but we we did talk about he's a capo for one of the New York families, and uh, Val's mom and he separated around 
did we establish before or after the incident that they cause... they separated after because Val's mom went up there right. to chill to chillax. Gotcha. But they were on and off after they divorced. Right. Or they didn't divorce. They were just separated because you can't get separated in the Catholic. <laughs> can't divorce. <laughs> is explicitly what you told me. <laughs> I mean, you can, but should you? But like, can you really? <laughs> Not. Are your spirits ever separated? Exactly. In the eyes of Jesus <laughs> and the Lord. But yeah, I, I have a family tree that I've given Eric and we've talked about the family tree a bit. I don't want to like spoil too much because I'm sure we'll meet at least some of Val's family in the future. But there, there's a complex family network there. God, I want to see that tree so bad. <laughs> oh, I'll send it to you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. It's also fun because I don't have to come up with the names and Julia calling her dad's mob nickname the macaroni is incredibly good for me i You're love welcome. that so very much good. i laugh every time i hear or think about it <laughs> it's very good there's some other very good nicknames in that family tree as well just saying. oh there's definitely pasta. more no they're there not is more okay <laughs> um the other thing is that like we know a lot like we know a lot about val's family we also have val's aunt that has the site yes <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about that um, but yeah, this totally fits into the world building that we did. There is some sort of mob contingent in Little Italy in Lake Town City because everything that we talked about with the river and the docks and the building out of Lake Town City. Um, but Val's dad is in New York City. Mm -hmm. And there is a connection between New York City and Lake Town City where we've established with a high-speed rail and all that stuff, New York State, blah, blah, blah. But it, it's, it's interesting seeing these two things come together uh, and how different organized crime can be in two different cities or at least like it's organized in, in incredibly regionally yes. like they're not talking to each other yeah they're not branches of the same office right they're not the same family they're not branches from the main family they are separate entities exactly so uh who can say what's gonna happen in our fantasy universe is the pizza better in new york city or in ltc the pizza is better in new york but also it's a different style of pizza so okay. yeah okay this is like when we went to new haven yes this was funny this was when uh we were where were we coming back boston. from sound education oh right we were coming back from boston remember when we took road trips and amanda <laughs> amanda flew to atlanta for like 16 hours yeah, yeah so the drive back it was like was, four hours <laughs> so the drive back was me and me julia and brandon and we're like we're stopping in new haven and we're getting this pizza we just really i was personally really hung over and was like, I need pizza 100%. real bad, guys. It was really good pizza. New it Haven was. pizza's delicious. Yeah, Pepe's in New Haven. Go check it out. It was so good. Like, the, I usually detest waiting on lines, but this was totally worth it. Also, the parking in New Haven blows. Yeah, so bad. they need to get that together. <laughs> There's too many one-way streets in New Haven. There are. That's my hot take. It's, it's bad. It's bad parking. They should have, like, I don't know, a municipal parking lot probably near that. But what do I know? So really just be Pepe's and then just a all parking lot the rest yeah. of it. Yeah, the rest of the town. <laughs> or maybe if Fuck cars yeah. or maybe if maybe if the uh the country was less car centric, maybe we wouldn't have this problem. We can just walk <laughs> to Pepe's. I was we'll, just fantasizing. We'll get off the high speed rail and walk exactly. right into Pepe's and then get back on. I was just fantasizing about the fact that there are definitely like regional pizza crawls based in New York City that just like go up to Lake Town for the afternoon to get pizza and Ooh. like go back and it's mm -hmm. not a big deal because there's mm. fucking infrastructure. I love, I it. love that. <sighs> Well, there's probably a stop in Albany on the way up, too. Probably. So, like, you go New oh, York yeah. City, and then Albany is in the middle, 
and you can get like a giant Italian sandwich to eat on the train. <laughs> Just like everyone, it's like two feet, and you cut it into 24, <laughs> 24 pieces, and you give it to give a slice to everybody, and then you eat that on the train as you go up to LTC. Love Sweet. it. Oh, hold on. Now I need to Google if my sandwich shop is going to be open after we're done recording. One second, real quick. <laughs> Joey asked about my Nat One on the investigation check in episode five um, about learning more about the nephews. <laughs> oh, boy. Asking why I didn't use a luck point, which is a good point. But in this case, I was worried about preserving them for combat. I feel like I've been watching so much Dimension 20 where the combat is super high stakes and people actually die that I was just really worried about saving that for a pivotal role in a combat scenario. So, you know, if I had gotten more expository stuff on the nephews, then that's great. But I feel like I'd rather in a pinch have the ability to, you know, fix something or defend somebody in a fight. Um, if I do it again, I don't know, maybe I would reconsider. But that's that was my logic at the time. I will say that Nat one gave us the best interaction I think of that entire episode, which was you FaceTiming your sister, trying to figure out why <laughs> the toilet was clogged. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I, it was so delightful to play and uh, it was just, it was wonderful. I don't know where Eric pulled that from, but it was perfect. And I was, it went on longer than the edit because Brandon made me sound very succinct in the edit, but the phone call was a lot of like, I don't know, like where, where is it? What do you mean? And it was extremely good. <laughs> hey, none of your siblings listen to this podcast, right? <laughs> Some of them do. But listen, everybody, everybody has somebody who calls them with questions that they could Google mm-hmm. and yep. this is mine. Again, you have all given me such gifts by building out part of your backstory. And, like, there are a lot of people who we haven't met yet, not only because in episode six, like, I feel like we meet a ton of people as we look towards the future. This entire arc is about meeting people and populating the world. Um, But we're slowly meeting more and more of your siblings. And this was a perfect opportunity to do it. Yeah, Joey um, also asked about what Quinn does and if they're still a student, what they're majoring in, a bunch of just like world building questions about Quinn. And I kind of don't want to answer because I, I sort of want that to happen in the fiction. I love that. Is that bad of me? Quinn is the is the theater actor. She's like a combo of Sear Sharonin and like Tavi Gevinson and has definitely like been in Taylor Swift's apartment before. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's Quinn. What number are you in the siblings again? Number one. Number one. Number one. Oh, you're the oldest. Yes. Oh, wow. I am. Oof. Hey, what are the names of all the siblings? Aggie, Danny, Cassie, Regan, Ryan, Kelly, Quinn. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry, I missed it the first time. Can you say that again? Aggie, Danny, Cassie, Regan, Ryan, Kelly, Quinn. Oh, Is that a better emphasis? Thank you. Now I understand. Cool. (laughs) The Ryan really helped. Or else you just, you gotta, you gotta, or else it won't come out in in the right way. (laughs) All right. On to episode six. Ellie Page would, would really like to know. Does the Night of Mirrors reflect like a disco ball? <laughs> I think yes. I mean, probably, yeah. It's. I wish I had some sort of comp here, but. So imagine a medieval knight's suit, but then like break all of them off so that they all fit onto a uh, like football uniform. Mm-hmm. So, like, imagine each one was, like, a different piece that all kind of came together and you, like, had to tape them onto a football uniform. So they all are surfaces. Like, you know, like, it's it's not pieces of clothing. These are, like, surfaces on top of pieces of clothing. So the answer to that by being just disparate mirrors is yes. <laughs> <laughs> a large panel disco ball, basically. <laughs> if, you get, if you catch it in the right light and you just happen to have, like, 
some gels, and so some spotlights just hit them with it. Mm, They're really true. popular in the underground disco scene. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what the Night of Mirrors is? I heard that the Night of Mirrors was Chad. That's, <laughs> no. that's my headcanon. So. I really hope that the mirrors are actually literally just got shaped on. That would make me very happy. <laughs> they seem like they have their shit together, though. Yeah, kind of. I mean, their bike is a serious tech. I think that there might be something in between the two. Like, you can have high tech, but also you're a, you're an independent vigilante. Like, hey, this might surprise you, but most vigilantes are not Batman. Mm. <laughs> you don't have a billion dollars, a, bil- a trillion dollars, whatever we've come to, that how much Bruce Wayne's uh, net worth is. So I think there is a certain amount of, like, st- literally strapping some, some reflective things and chrome onto what is seemingly a football uniform. <laughs> Do y'all ever wish that Bill Gates was a vigilante? <laughs> A little bit, but I feel like... He is a vigilante for malaria. He's a public health vigilante, yes. There we go. Love it. And and Melinda, don't worry. Don't forget. It's a dynamic duo. Nothing's easy in this world. (laughs) Except for maybe punching ice cream trucks. Kay would like to know, Julia, is Val developing a sort of negative reaction to the presence of ice cream trucks in general? I will say I'm really glad that we're in fall and hopefully going into winter next. But if it was summer and it was peak ice cream truck season, I think that maybe, possibly, there would have been some sort of complex. <laughs> I do like to imagine that Julia wakes up sometimes in the middle of the night, just like bolts up from her sleep sweaty and it's just imagines the ice cream Mr. Softy <laughs> jingle in her head. Yeah. That's how my brain usually works. <laughs> the <laughs> terrible. The studio is at the end of a uh, road like there's a dead end that leads to a park and I don't know why it is but for like a few weeks earlier the ice cream trucks would just like sit in the dead end and just play the song for like 20 minutes it's like they were on break but also running the music that seems like illegal activities are happening yeah. you think so it doesn't seem illegal it's just terrible well they're also near a park so they're probably hoping that people from the park will come and get ice cream I also don't know how prudent it is to be operating an ice cream truck mid-corona, so there's just many questions to be had. Mm. Yes, many questions. Well, we will get into our general uh, show questions and, of course, the spoily corner in a moment. But speaking of vigilantes and heroes and Batman, I would love to talk a little bit about a new item that we have for sale in the merch store. (gasps) What is it? Oh, wow. What is it? It's No Capes, a D&D reskinning and superhero guide by Eric. That sounds wow, so good. Me. I would pay $100,000 for that. Well, Woo! Brandon, I'll tell you, it's not that much. <laughs> it's actually just $12. Whoa, That's a, such a bargain. Pages. It's so long. That's true. This is a 50-page guide that I pulled together after everything that we've been doing in uh, Join the Party Campaign 2. Uh, there's a lot of ideas about reskinning and how to take the game mechanics of Dungeons & Dragons and take away that high fantasy stuff on it and then turning it into whatever genre you want. In this case, superheroes. There's a lot of writing about this. I kind of break down every single class into like its game mechanic components, which is good for both DMs, old players, and new players alike. Yeah, I wish I could have read that when I first started playing because I feel like I had no understanding of how the caster classes differed and the little like tagline that you wrote for each of the classes just like made it all clear to me. It's like I saw God. It was like, oh my God, yes, finally, <laughs> this. Thank you. And isn't God worth $100,000? Or even No, 12. Brandon, it's just $12. Just 12 <laughs> 
But don't worry, I have, have written some new and original stuff that you can put into your game regardless. I have seven different new subclasses and like uh, two pages worth of consumable items you can use. And I've also uh, edited and published RPG City Planner, which we've talked about, which was the game that we used to turn Lake Town in 1985 into Lake Town City in 2020X. So I poured a lot of energy and time into this, and it's really exciting, and I really would love to share it with you. I think it's pretty neat, <laughs> and uh, you should check it out. <laughs> oh, you all, Brandon also thinks it's neat. I think it's worth $100,000. Wowee. But you can get it for just twelve dollars. No, I think it, honestly, it's it's really cool. I my favorite thing about D anD D in general is is reskinning, and I haven't seen personally quite a like clear cut guide before. Like Amanda was saying, it is like super easy to use, and it, and it makes things so much more approachable. And I yeah, I really like it. Yeah, some of those subclasses are so cool. Like genuinely, I want to start a campaign with those subclasses and just yeah. like. You know, I know. Be stretchy and punch guys and stuff like that. That's true. I can tell you what the subclasses yeah, are. Yeah, so I made it, one. I made a subclass for uh, a bunch of different classes. For the artificer, I made Michigan Troll, which is kind of like the Oracle. Some either it is like a man in the chair or the man in the van sort of type, where you stay outside and you send information and tech in, or you're like just doing general support using the tech that you have. Uh, I have put together uh, Milo's Circle of Spirits. The fighter is the pro-hero fighter, so think like My Hero Academia, the professional hero mm -hmm. using your charisma and your love of the audience to help out your team and to do more damage. The monk is the way of the stretch. So, cool. so it's Elastigirl! It's like Elastigirl or Mr. Fantastic turning yourself into different objects that can help you during your monk fighting. Uh, the rogue is the spacewalker, which uh, you can't TM it because this is a podcast. It's just night Crawler, it's guys. Nightcrawler. <laughs> it's very cool, but it's Nightcrawler. Uh, the Sorcerer is the Shocking Soul, so something like Static Shock, oh, and, so cool. it, like paired with the technology there. Like, how do you have a superhero that uses the electricity of a modern world to your advantage? And finally, the Wizard is the Chronomancer. I took a different stab at this, looking at time like it was a story, like being able to look forward and backwards at the roles that you can do. And remember, you are telling a story in Dungeons and Dragons, so the Chronomancer has more control over that than a regular player was. You can even take narrative control away from the Dungeon Master. Absolute uh, so genius. Delicious. It is very, very uh, cool. So awesome. I think it's pretty neat. <laughs> I would pay $40 for that, Eric. Whoa. Well, Brandon, it's only $12. You're getting closer to the price point. <laughs> you could buy it four times, I guess. That would be pretty nice. <laughs> but yeah, that along with our digital merch, along with our Lake Town City Mountain Lobster t-shirt and uh, hat and poster by Squared are all available at jointhepartypod.com slash merch. Every time I look at that poster, I'm amazed by it again. It's so good. It, it is really very, is. very cool. It's amazing. Well, let us take a quick break to head back into the kitchen and Fill back up our uh, trail mix bowls. It's custom blend, TMTM, mine only. Ooh. None of those weird garlic chips or whatever. <laughs> no, no garlic, garlic in chips this house. for Amanda. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> Alrighty, see you in a sec. Hey, it's Amanda. Thank you so much to everybody who joined our Patreon in the last week. Julia, Claire, Lauren, and Anna crochets subversively, which is definitely my favorite patron name in recent memory. 
Thanks also to Jack, Chassie, and Phoebe for upgrading to annual plans. We say it every week on The Multitude Shows, but we are truly grateful for each and every person who supports us on Patreon. You literally make it possible for this to be our jobs, and we couldn't do it without you. Talking about new episodes with our patron-only Discord is also the highlight of my week, along with the many fantastic pets we see each day in our Oatcake and Friends channel. The uh, Zoom intensification is increasing, and I could not love it anymore. To get access to the Discord and so much more, join us today for as little as five bucks a month at patreon.com slash join the party pod. And like we said, you can pick up no capes as of today at jointhepartypod.com slash merch. This is not just a guide to making superheroes in D&D, but it's more. It's about how to reskin D&D mechanics for any new setting, not just high fantasy. For 12 bucks, this 49-page guide includes breakdowns of every class and their superhero parallels, seven new subclasses for your superhero game, 13 new consumable items created by our mad scientist Dr. Morrow, a deep dive into the mechanics of reskinning, and RPG City Planner. I'm really proud of what Eric made here, all of us are, and I really want to hear what you do with these items and subclasses. So pick up the guide now at jointhepartypod.com slash merch and let Eric or Join the Party know what you do with it. Who knows, you might even be hearing some bonus content about it soon. Ooh, ah, no spoilies, who can say? Next, I want to recommend a wonderful podcast for you to listen to once you catch up on JTP. It is Hey Riddle Riddle. Every week, Adel Rafai, John Patrick Cohn, and Aaron Keefe get together to play and unpack puzzles and riddles. The three Chicago-based improvisers tackle any sort of brain teasers or head scratchers imaginable. Some are impossible, some are absolutely improbable, and some often seem not quite of this time. It's really an awesome and fun show. You can even try to play along at home or just listen as the hosts improvise and play out the scenes in which each riddle takes place. It's such a great concept for a podcast, and it is so much fun. Find it in any podcast app or heyriddleriddle.com. We are sponsored this week by Hero Forge. They offer fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy races and thousands of parts and accessories to choose from. That means you can customize your character's haircut, body proportions, armor, clothing, accessories, even animal familiars. You can put your mini on a motorcycle if you really want to stand hard for the Night of Mirrors, guys. And you can change the bases your characters are on too, from a tabletop version to a special one for initiative tracking with DM screens, even a necklace. It's awesome. So visit HeroForge.com to start designing your custom miniature today. And check back often because new stuff is added every week. That's HeroForge.com. Finally, we are sponsored this week by BetterHelp, a secure online counseling service. They connect you with licensed counselors through their secure app, letting you message with your therapist and schedule live phone or video sessions. I've been seeing my therapist for about six months through BetterHelp, and they have an LGBTQ arm called Pride Counseling, and I really, really appreciate her guidance. I really like that I can message her in between sessions if I'm worrying about something or have something on my mind or just want to say, hey, next time I want to make sure we discuss whatever it is. It really helps me not forget get and not just show up to my therapy call being like, uh, hi. Um, so brains. Because BetterHelp wants to help you find the best therapeutic match possible, it's easy and free to switch counselors if need be. And BetterHelp is even more affordable than traditional counseling with financial aid available. You can get 10% off your first month of counseling by signing up at betterhelp.com slash join the party. That's betterhelp.com slash join the party for 10% off your first month. Betterhelp.com slash join the party. All right, now let's get back to the after party.
All right, we are back. I have chips, nary a garlic in sight. <laughs> and I have some questions from our wonderful community on Twitter, email, and Discord about the general show and general characters. So one from Magdalena, which I loved, speaking of our kind of modern campaign, how do Milo Val and the NPCs all text? And do I stand behind Aggie's lowercase full punctuation style? Uh, yes, 100%. <laughs> What's your style, guys? What's your texting style? I think Val is chaotic use of like emojis and all lowercase (laughs) all the time. Very good. Yeah, I think Milo is all lowercase punctuation until the end of the text and he leaves it off and uses a lot of GIFs. Good. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Tries tries to text with GIFs if at all possible. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Emily, we've established, uses a bunch of emojis, like emojis to punctuate her information. And I really like that about Emily. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think that Milo's group text is just blowing up with gifts constantly. Mm. Yeah. Like you look away at the wrong time and like something drops, like Final Fantasy VII Remake, and then it's just like. 200 gifts in a row what is milo's group chat name for him and his museum friends oh that's a good question question. um i think it's like bold over or like (laughs) science with an exclamation point Mm -hmm. i don't know they're they're fucking nerds maybe it's like the scientist emoji only yeah science friends (laughs) scientist emoji cute and a related question from Ruth in Discord. How are all of us finding it to play a campaign where we do have easy access to tech, mobile phones, search engines, all of that? And Eric, how is it impacting your planning? I mean, I think in this situation, tech is just magic. Like if we were in a fantasy setting and we were in the scene where we called Aggie's phone to overhear what she was doing, we would just have like stones of far speech or something like that. Like, I think there is a magic equivalent to all technology and vice versa in campaigns like this because you are reskinning it for a modern setting. So it's basically the same thing. Like if I rolled a history check in a ancient library, I would probably find the same thing that I would find in like the computers if I was looking up articles on something that I needed to find out about. Yeah, I'm not afraid of people using Google. I mean, listen, Google tells us the small things that we need to do in our day-to-day lives. It doesn't, like, uncover secrets. Honestly, you'd get more in an ancient library than you would Googling it. So <laughs> there's take. a lot of things you don't... <laughs> oh, got me. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you need to do that are secret and you have to do by communications. And, like, you know, if you could figure everything out with technology, then there would be no, like, there's going to be no conflict in so many things. Like, that's how TV and movies do their thing. Like, people still miscommunicate, and there's still a lot of information you don't just have at your fingertips because you need to interact with each other. And, like, you do need to know what you're looking for when you're looking for it. So there is an element of investigation checks that I just so happens you're doing it in front of a computer. I think it also just makes it more human too. Like I, I appreciate it because you know there's definitely a lot of media where it's like a cell phone would ruin this entire plot. So I think it's it's more fun to play within the the realistic space. Yeah, and I do feel like it means that the problems we're pursuing are more complex. It's not just like a 
the thing I hate in movies where like somebody leaves a room like a minute before the person they need arrives, you know, and just that, yeah. that kind of like not having access to information that should be there is I'm sure fun for some amount of narrative tension, but I'd much rather kind of uncover information that we are uncovering for the first time than, you know, need something that someone who, you know, just left the inn had. Oh man, if only the key was in a rock just a foot away. Uh, <sighs> march with the beach chair, if only. <laughs> Shell asks, if Milo plays Pokemon, what is his dream team like? Oh, good question. Uh, I think Milo's favorite gen is, is second gen. Uh, he's a, a gold fan. Hmm. But I think he tries to go like old school in his team. You know, he'll get like a like a Vulpix in there. Probably early game goes for like a Zubat, but then eventually swaps them out. I think Milo's a, a Chikorita Person. Bold choice, sir. Bold like, wow, choice. after all of the shit you've talked about Bulbasaur, you can come <laughs> to my house and choose Chikorita. Look, That's, the wow. final wow. form of Bulbasaur and Chikorita are completely different, and the final evolved form of Chikorita is great, and Venusaur is has a lot of HP. <laughs> this is true. It's a tank. Hamilton Otto asks, Eric, how high up does the spirit surge count go? You've mentioned one, two, three. Does it like keep going until it's just inevitable mm-hmm. if he misses 20 in a row? Yes, it does go until it's inevitable. But luckily for me, Brandon's dice loves rolling once. <laughs> I was going to say I'm never going to get more than three because I'm always going to roll it. <laughs> Jaya asks on Twitter, is Aggie short for Agamemnon? Which I just think is a fantastic headcanon. I want you to have that in your life, Jaya. It is a short for Margaret, like Maggie to Aggie. Um, but you believe what you want. And I think Aggie will try to live up to that uh, standard. Is it I had not no Agamemnon? idea. Yeah. Oh, because uh, in Texas, obviously, Aggie is an agricultural person. People hmm. go to A&M or call oh. them Aggies. I would have assumed Agatha. So here we are. Fascinating. No, my uh, my grandma was called Aggie and her name was Margaret. So that's, I love that. that's where I Very got cool. that from. Texas A&M (laughs) O'Hare. Even another reason to idolize Coach Taylor. (laughs) A wild squirtle asks, what does LTC pride look like? And what mischief does Tuna get into during this time? I'm thinking a lot of neighborhood events. I'm not sure if there is a a citywide parade. Maybe folks who want that experience go down to New York because it is such an easy journey. But I'm picturing a lot of like local businesses and festivals and, you know, service events and stuff like that. What do all of us wear to Pride? It's a good question. Um, I think Aggie has one rainbow T-shirt from like a previous LGBTQ center like food can pantry drive love it milo definitely has a pair of rainbow pants <laughs> that Very wears cool. only on Pride. oh is that your bowling uniform that'd be cool oh yeah i love that let's do that rainbow pants has a lot of different uses that's true <laughs> val's got a big non-binary patch that they put on their leather jacket for for pride i love that cute here's the thing about ltc because it's fantasy and the city we live in pride's just all the time <laughs> Every month Everyone is pride. just loves the LGBTQ plus community. And June is just an opportunity to make sure that the most vulnerable in our communities are, exactly. are being taken care of and advance racial equity and stuff like that. Wow, LTC, so good. What a great, town. a great town. We built a good town. Jamie, DWN, asks in the Discord, 
you're not Omega class now, but presumably you will level up. In D&D, level 16 plus characters are kind of godlike. So what might the impact be on Lake Town City if there is level 16 barbarism, for example, hanging around? Hmm. What is Omega class? I haven't heard that before. Omega class is the ranking of mutants that Charles Xavier put together Ah, in the X-Men. It's the most powerful kind of mutant. It's like, it's basically godlike powers. Got it. So Eric, how are you treating leveling up in this campaign? Yeah, I mean, I think it's inevitable as we get farther and farther and you develop your powers. Again, something that we've established here is that people have powers, but they're kind of just like using it for fun. Like you have to imagine if there's like a flamethrower somewhere, they're like, oh, wow, I can just like heat up my tea whenever I want. And like, that's kind of like the extent of their powers. And like, it is a very long used trope that you need to develop your work. We just finished Avatar The Last Airbender. I was going to say, thank you, Uncle 61 episodes. (laughs) Yeah, we just watched all of our 61 episodes in three days. Um, But like developing, just because you have the power doesn't mean you don't need to work on it. And there is a leveling up capability. So I don't know how high we're going to go with leveling. But like, I also think to what Brandon said about destroying infrastructure, like, Let's look at the Marvel movies. Like when a big, uh, when very big battles happen, shit gets destroyed. Yeah, like cities. I mean, Civil and... War had the most, um, the most like explicit kind of subplot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like that's the effect. But like that's what happened in the Avengers when all those aliens showed up. Like it destroyed roads and buildings and bridges and you know. Uh... Those superhero movies have incredibly high body count. So I don't know if something like that's going to happen necessarily. But like, you know, power is power. There will be destruction. Alana asked uh, via email, since Aggie seems to be very by the rules, did she ever have any struggles with her siblings becoming tops in their fields? She's very proud of them, but did she ever consider their powers to be cheating or an unfair advantage over others? I think it's a really perceptive question, and I think she does to some level. Um, And there's a reason that she decided to have a pretty low-key career um, and not one where her abilities sort of factor into it very much. Uh, and that's been a really interesting thing for me to kind of um, weigh in the character, you know, that pull toward duty and service. If you defend others by any means necessary, that also means some kind of destruction or also relying on your powers to be better than others. Um, and I think that that is fundamentally like not a thing that she's super comfortable with. So it's uh, definitely something to keep your eye on, I think, as the campaign goes on. Yeah, it's very cool. I hope you get to address it in a session at some point. Me too. Um, and oh, this one comes in from Brandon. What is Ma's most popular ice cream flavor? <laughs> I'm going to guess. I think it's like Moose Tracks or Rocky Road or something like that. Uh, cute. Yeah. I would say some sort of inverted Moose Tracks. Like, I wonder if it's like chocolate, but then there's like peanut butter cups in it and, a, and a caramel ripple. Ooh. That sounds good. Sounds something like really um, good. Something I don't see enough of is like like chocolate covered clusters of like puffed rice, mm. like little crunchy bits, like bunch of crunch. Sounds very tasty. Yeah, like bunch. Maybe of crunch. a little like maple swirl or a little maple candy. Ooh, Ooh maple swirl! I like maple great. swirl instead of caramel swirl. Sort of like coffee maple swirl, maybe. Mm. It's upcountry surprise. Ooh, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> no, that, that sounds bad. Okay, that it's sounds a, like a. Right, it's not called upcountry surprise. <laughs> something they would that do to you at the docks a, of Little a Italy. Lewd act is what that sounds like. <laughs> that, that's. <laughs> Uh, there, that's like um. So there's a bacteria you can get called Giardia, which is when you drink untreated water and you get it from. Uh, I've done this from camping up in the wilder of the Canadian wilderness. You get it from beaver poop being in the water. Gross. So that's what upcountry surprises. Oh, oh no. I hate that. 
Upcountry surprise! I hate it. I hate it real bad. Val's mom has also named one of their sculptures Upcountry Surprise. Oh, no. Oh, God. It's very boobsy. <laughs> it's just lots of boobs. Um, something that I don't remember if we noted or not. The ice cream trucks did come from Moss. Like, that's... Oh, yeah. Okay. I just... I didn't, I didn't know if that was something I needed to explain or not. I, I saw it floating around. It's like, they did get it. We did talk about this. It did come from Weird Al's Strange Vehicle Emporium. <laughs> Weird like Al's they... Car Emporium, Eric. That's no relation. Right. right. But Maz is like renting the ice cream trucks. Like, it's part of their fleet. How many ice cream trucks are in their fleet, though? A decent amount. I just need to know how many I have to destroy. <laughs> yeah, Val has a list. Uh, I think it's not many. I think you saw... I don't know. I Okay. I, I, I could tell you the number, but I'd just be making it up. Right. I'd say like four or five. Okay. They're pretty small. I've seen most of them. And they tried to expand, and they tried to expand, and it fell apart, so... Oh, no. You've punched two-fifths of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Bright Eyes 29 asks in the Discord, now that we're solidly into campaign two, are there any lessons or wisdom that we learned in the first campaign that we find ourselves applying to the new one, either as players slash DMs or as podcasters? And Julia, yours from your full podcast experience and listening to campaign one. We've talked about it before, but I think for me, the biggest like two things are one, like leaning in and not, none of us were terribly combative, but like working with the dm instead of like against the dm um that's something i learned in the first campaign to do better and then um also just like trusting the dm just like jumping in head first without necessarily um not not thinking of the consequences but like um <laughs> just trusting that your dm has your best interest at heart and they're like on your team as well yeah i think for me it's being less scared to sort of push at the world building and doing the world building exercise together was something all of us decided. And we've talked about, you know, in, in the previous episodes, but that really gave me a sense of ownership and feeling like I can go places or do things or call people and also just sort of add uh, things that I discover along the way. And it makes me feel both for my particular character, a lot more sort of like in her background and in her head because that is something that she knows a lot about and also just as a player you know more fully able to say like these are things I want to do and then it's on Eric to make them happen yeah I think for me it's mostly just like doing the thing that feels true to the character and not doing the thing that I think is going to like win Eric's puzzle the quickest you know (laughs) I want to do the things that Val feels like they would have to do in the moment which is why i went and investigated the teens even though i'm like i rolled a six and this is probably just a distraction but i want to go and do this anyway yeah punch a truck punch a truck (laughs) flip a truck if you go do the distraction i'll let you punch a trunk later thank you (laughs) i think the i'm leaning into the things that i like the most and i think that i'm the best at as a dungeon master which is world building and using game mechanics from other places to make Dungeons and Dragons more interesting and more fun to listen to as a podcast. So I'm trying to let some stuff go. Like I'm not being on myself as much about not being good at voices, but instead I'm trying to flesh out the NPCs instead. But at the same time, like I'll do a bad Russian accent for you. That's just what dogs sound like. Yeah. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, it's just kind of letting go and taking the experience that I had from campaign one and being able to do it from the jump. The thing that I was most excited about starting a new campaign is 
I thought I really started getting the groove of it starting in Bachelorette Party. And now I'm like, oh, I'm doing this from the beginning of Camping 2, and I feel really good about it. Mm -hmm. I feel good about it, too. I'm, I'm happy to be on the receiving end of all that planning. And Sour Anthony is an excellent voice, so how dare you besmirch uh... that voice? <laughs> The more frustrated we get, that means the better it is. Hey, man, I'm just trying to do my best here. <laughs> ah, let's get about here. Win. All right, time for Spoily Corner. Spoily Woo! Corner. Oh, hell yeah, spoils. All right, first one. Monty, what? <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Who can say? I the Just to put a thing here, I didn't say it was Monty. Yes. Yes. At it, no it point have I said it's Monty. It's a giant mountain lobster. That's a good point. It's a giant mountain lobster. It it is similar to the myth of Monty, so that was that was what was first on Aggie's mind. I will just you you guys can believe it's Monty. I have just want to say I have never confirmed mm. that it is or is not Monty. Yeah, okay. I don't Multiples. think it's literally Monty, but I do think that this is the you know instantiation of a myth I grew up with, which is very funny. Uh, secondly, is Doctor Morrow the Knight of Mirrors? No, oh, no, I don't think so. Say. <laughs> Julie can say she thinks. No. I don't think so. I'm just reacting to these as me, the player who you know knows stuff. I'm just like, mm, no, I don't think so. Is Doctor Morrow evil though? Hmm, that's hmm. a question. I hope not. I don't know. Who can say? I hope not. Who can really say in this world of gray, there's no black and white. It is only gray. So who can really say what is true and what is not? Fair enough. Is that a quotation or just a, a little emo poem? Yeah, that's from I Uncle Ira. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, well, we're off to start The Legend of Korra. And in the meantime, thank you, everybody, for your questions. Thank you for being interested in our campaign. It makes us really happy. And we can't wait to share the next episode with you. Bye, guys. Later. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. But you can get No Capes, a TNT guide to superheroing <laughs> and reskinning. Written by me. It is not even $100,000. It's less than that. It doesn't even cost $40. It's less than that. Not even 13 It's less than $13. And we'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Join the Party. Bye. <laughs>